a chef, instructor, and product liaison walk into a bar. Sound like a setup for a joke? Well, it isn't. It's me describing today's guest. I'm your host, George Nagel, and today we get to talk with someone that brings her mastery of innovation around food to all that she touches. Let's get started. Today, we get to speak with a person with a true Midas touch. Sheila Jones is a TEDx coach, a youth mentor for young entrepreneurs, the award-winning author of the children's book, Amir's Big Catch, and that is just the tip of the iceberg. Over the years, she has conceived, developed, and commercialized products that achieve market prominence and have led billion-dollar product life cycles. Sheila has led multiple 100-person teams for some of the most influential and best-recognized consumer and retail companies. Sheila is also the founder of The Wicked Results, a consultancy-focused company on helping clients become champions in their field. She and her team are able to do this because of the diversity of industries they have to draw from. Sheila herself has been a chef, culinary instructor, product developer for Campbell's, savory and sweet blender for Nestle, brand liaison with Walmart, and much more. The question is, where does she find this boundless energy? Well, let's find out. Sheila, welcome. Hi, George. It's great to be with you today. I've been looking forward to connecting and being on your show. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. So let's really, you know, just jump right into it. So I know that you actually studied at the University of Maryland and got a degree in food science. And you seem to really have this just marvelous career involving food in some way or shape or form. What do you think gave you that passion and really gets you excited about the possibilities in the world of food? I tell you, my passion for food really started with my grandmother. She was a fabulous, fabulous cook. And they own a beach house in Southern Maryland. And every day she would make amazing food. And everyone would come from the beach and hang out in the backyard and eat endless types of products. Like the amazing fried chicken from my grandmother was just, it was just mouthwatering. So I learned at her, at the, at her knee how to be a good cook. And I carried that on to my first job, which was actually like a pizza maker. I was like a young kid making pizzas on Friday nights. And it was kind of funny because they only put me in charge of putting the sauce on the crust. Right. I didn't even have the job of putting the meat on. It was just get the sauce on and you're good to go. And, uh, you know, what motivates me about the food industry in particular is the fact that there's endless opportunity to create and innovate. When you think that everything's exhausted, it has not exhausted. It's time to look at something that has not been, you know, touched or or inspired for creativity and move that creativity needle. It's so exciting. It's endless for me. <laughs> I know that for you, you know, you seem to almost have this unquenchable thirst for knowledge um, yeah. because you have multiple licenses and certifications um, just as one measure of that, of that knowledge base that you're always looking for. Tell us, what is that, that driver for you on just consuming all this knowledge and then taking it and doing something with it in the world? Yeah, I, you know, I, I would say that it started quite a long time ago. When I worked at my very first restaurant, as I said, spreading that sauce on the crust, mm -hmm. 
that restaurant led me to a much bigger restaurant. And when I came to work for this place called Bush's Chesapeake Inn in Annapolis, Maryland, I started as a salad girl, but I could see all these different positions in the restaurant. I could see, you know, the oyster shucker. I could see the line cook. I could see all these different positions. And I just felt like there was an endless runway to learn and grow. And that particular restaurant seeded in me an opportunity for growth and development that I've carried with me through my entire career. And what I would say, just to kind of recap is, I look at something as like a starter level position. And then I look at the amazing opportunity that's in that box, that opportunity for employment, and then seek out ways to learn about that and how I can skill myself to potentially move into those positions or mentor another person that might be looking for a role in those types of positions. When you talk about coming in with that fresh pair of eyes and seeing all of this opportunity, that's something I would call a naive expert, right? You you have seen some and have a knowledge base, but there's all this runway. How do you find the energy to go after that runway? And then you also mentioned coming back later and mentoring people. Does, does that help with that energy? Oh, absolutely. I draw a lot of my energy from the environment that I'm around. So when I walk into a place and I, and I see an operation that has an amazing potential, I always ask the first question, do we want to grow or do we want to stay the same? And I've come from a space where you can see the product development, you know, the the product development process is if you don't keep growing, eventually you're going to obsolesce yourself, right? And so if you obsolesce yourself, then there's not really much more runway for you. So when I walk into a company where I'm interacting with an individual and I talk about growth in personal development or growth in the business development, I'm like, what is the most amazing thing that you can envision here? And a lot of times people can't envision because they're kind of stuck in the box that they're in, right? And when I say, well, you know, can we do this? The first answer is no. Well, then I'm like, well, let's figure out how we can do it, right? And then we start to get this momentum. And when someone sees the first success and they see the second success, then it is much easier to to move the organization forward because they start believing in themselves, they start believing that they can actually do this, right? And that they can grow the business and it is possible. You know, and I'm not saying there doesn't come, you know, some bumps in a row with all of this, but the bottom line is once you get the momentum going, once you see that this is actually possible, then people become believers and then the momentum is unstoppable. Can you give us an example of of, of one of those where you ha- you knew you were going to have to tap into your creativity in order to to start that that wheel spinning or that flywheel of getting repetition of success that that actually created a winning innovation for your team or the organization that you were working in. Yeah, I'm actually, if you don't mind, George, I'm going to share two because I think it's good to talk about two different kinds of businesses, right? Absolutely. So I consult for a restaurant that is local here in the Lancaster, Pennsylvania area, and they they wanted to grow their business but their skill sets were minimized. So when I came into the operation, I'm like, okay, well, I have all these different skill sets and so does my team. So let's tap into 
doing the first thing first and executing it correctly, right? So we actually focused on the bar first in the restaurant. We created our first cocktail menu. It was so exciting, right? Like we had new, new spirits. We had new mixers. We had new glasses. And we created this first cocktail menu. Everyone was like, wow, we're not sure what's going to happen. And I'm like, I'm not sure either. But let's just go for it and see what happens. Next thing you know, we had a sale. Then we had another sale and another sale. And all of a sudden, the momentum started. Now we are a year into monthly launches of brand new cocktail menus. Our bar sales have basically tripled because we went out, we put ourselves out on the limb, and we tried, right? And we were okay to have success or failure. And I think that's really the big point here is the success or failure. So moving into corporate America, sometimes it's a little harder to get the wheel moving, right? There's like a bigger, there's a bigger wheel that has to start. But when I was working at Advanced Food Products, one of the big things that I was really concerned about was growing the business, right? Like really growing the business. So we started with customer presentations. How do you get the first invite? What do you have to do to get the first invite? It takes a lot to just get that first invite. So for me, it was like, we put ourselves out there and we were like, okay, we would like to come and show you our innovation products. It was it was like a no, 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 then a yes. And as soon as we got the yes, the momentum started. And so after the first yes, then it was like, oh, can we do one every week? And if we're going to do one every week, what is the staffing that we need? What's the processes that we need? What is the infrastructure that has to be in place? How big does our calendar have to be so that we can sequence all of this in? And ultimately, those customer presentations led to the growth of the business. So in some instances, you're doing one thing. And in some style of businesses, you're going to do another in order to grow that business. But it's really about having the the, of the ability to envision what more success looks like and willing to take the risk where you get the no. As you're talking about getting a no, you made me think about... Um... Chris Voss, and he was a you know expert negotiator, and he actually likes a no uh, initially. Uh, giving a no initially helps them stop and pause for a moment because they've already rejected it, so now they feel a little bit safer, yeah. and now they have the ability to process, and now they can think. So he likes to give long pauses after no's and then ask some follow-up questions that'll probably give another no before he tries to get that yes. I think it's important to get that no because that then helps you define the space in which the person that you're interacting with, the, the space in which they can or can't and why they can or can't. And then after that, it becomes really a, a dialogue of trying to help each other be successful. If I asked you to look into that proverbial crystal ball of you know where you see food evolution going and what's next in the next few years and what are some of the biggest drivers that you're seeing for where food's going to go and maybe some innovations around it? Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting because when I look at the food space in totality, I'm looking at it from the, the mom and pop restaurant operations all the way through into the large CPG companies. And what I would say is I've always felt like the process has been chef inspired, right? When you see a restaurant that is very creative. And then you see that material go from restaurant to uh, like a mom and pop restaurant to a QSR restaurant and then into commercial food production. 
I see us and I hope that I, I see and I hope that we are using more natural products and we are moving away from the complexities of food additives. And I know that that is a long haul, but the bottom line is there's ways to do it. There's ways to get to where we're trying to, where we have the natural food product in our hands and available to us. And I feel like there, the, the relationship between mind, body, and health is still in a big evolution process, right? Um, I want to take a split second here and say that, you know, five years ago, we probably didn't see many mock cocktail businesses. Now we see a lot of mock cocktail. And what I say a lot is don't look at food in isolation. Look at it in terms of the totality of things that are occurring in your society, right? And if people are, um, if, if something has been stagnant for a long time, and I'm just going to use the beverage side of the business, no, no issues here with Coke and Pepsi being the leaders in restaurants, but they have had a market share of beverage for a long time. So we either had carbonated drinks or alcohol drinks. That's kind of the, that's kind of the limit, right? But when you go into a grocery store and you start to see all these amazing beverage products out there, it, it leads you to say, how can that be implemented across multiple areas for success, right? And I would say that to a person that's an innovator, don't look at just your space. Look at innovation across many, 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 many different categories. Like what's happening over in one part of the world and how does that impact your world? And I'm going to give you an example of what I mean by that. When I was working at Walmart, my product area was very, very diverse. And I, I, I was sort of like, okay, why are we still making this type of pet food product? The world of pets has evolved so much, right? They're domesticated. They're, they win our hearts. They're the, they're the thing we can count on every day. You see the food sales going like this, but a lot of companies are still in this mindset of, you know, a mid-tier food product for the pet. All of a sudden, you can craft out this amazing product for a dog or a cat. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my gosh. It's almost as if they're at the dinner table with you. You've got this incredible product that you've made for them. And now the whole pet food business in terms of eating specifically got completely shuffled in terms of what is the new norm. So if you see something like a comfort bed being made and you, you look at how the dog is being pampered, does that influence the food that the dog eats? Yes, it does. So don't look at just your area. Look at the entire the entire behavior of whoever that consumer is, and it'll help you identify opportunities that you did not see in the past. What would be one or two things that you would say, man, I wish somebody would have told me earlier in my career about this in regards to innovation and how to to bring that innovation and that energy that you get from it every single day out. Yeah, I I feel very, very strongly in the space that when I first started in the business, we looked at what our consumers ate. And it was in very specific, isolated area. You know, tell me what you eat. Tell me what you eat for breakfast. Hmm. Tell me, you know, tell me what you're eating for lunch. Tell me what you're eating for dinner. We never said what is happening in your life. And so 
I feel like we need to expand the the questions. We need to expand the relationship with the consumer so that you have a better picture of their entire life and how it all goes together to make innovation much more uh, viable and have a longer runway for a consumer. I'll, I'll give you an example. In the morning, I get up and I, I do meditation and yoga. So if you know that about me, what is that? What opportunity does that bring for for me or for you to create something for me, either from a food standpoint or a beverage standpoint? Right. Like, think about that, because every morning when I when I get out of bed, I want to start with a nice cup of hot water and lemon to to start a very holistic cleansing process and a mineral addition to my body. There is no morning drink for a person like myself, but we all know that when we go to bed at night, we go through a dehydration phase because we're not we're not drinking. So the first thing we should actually do in the morning is begin with a hydration step for our mind and body, right? So here we are, we're more worried about the coffee part which you know coffee expansion's been absolutely incredible don't get me wrong it's it's a billions and billions of dollars but is there a space for something else as the morning opportunity you know we got the we got the hydration in the afternoon we have the hydration in the evening but do we have the hydration at the right point in the day where it best impacts the person and gives them a chance to refuel in a hydration space right in the beginning of the day it's an interesting question it absolutely is, and one that would carry with the idea of true innovators also have to be educators to yes. bring awareness of why anybody would actually get a true benefit, not just a improvement, but a benefit that has value to your life. And that, that education part is sometimes, I think, overlooked on how long that cycle can take. And more importantly, yeah. where it impacts the bottom line, because it's not in the first two years. It's mm. usually around year three through year five where you really get that lift to the profitability. Yeah, I, I can tell you that when I work in a mom and pop, pop restaurant, the innovation is very different, right? It's like I can quickly put something on the menu and I can quickly take it off and the impact is small, right? It, it may be a couple hundred dollars worth of inventory I've got. Now, to the restaurant, that's still a lot of money because everything is in percentage ratio, right? But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not investing, you know, millions and millions of dollars and having to create this process, right? So anyone who's in the consumer products good space in particular, if they're signing up, they need to sign up for an investment in the beginning and have the wherewithal to see the peaks and valleys of the business, but stay committed or pivot just a little bit. And when you see it not going like you think it should, don't stop it. Pivot it a little bit. Pivot it a, a bit so that you can get the right messaging, the right consumer, and the right launch to the product. I've I've seen companies make very, you know, very big launches and then it's not landing right. So they'll pull the product right off the shelf because they don't want to throw any more money at, it, right? But in the end, if they did a small pivot, and said, okay, well, we didn't land correctly here. Let's do a word choice here. Let's change a little something about this and then bring it back, bring it back up. Then I'm it's amazing what that little bit of change can do 
for a particular product and the longevity and success the product can have. Sheila, you know, tell our listeners the best ways to contact you and what to expect if they reach out to you. So the best way to reach out to me would be via my website, wickedresults.com or through um, Sheila at wickedresults.com. That's my direct email. I'm on LinkedIn as a, as a business owner. I'm also there as an, as an individual. So you can just, you know, reach out to me. Uh, You know, it's just search Sheila Jones, wicked results. I'm sure I'll pop up. (laughs) Well, I think the first thing I always like to ask is what business are you in and how is that business doing? What is your streams of income and what are your expenses and how is this all, you know, balanced out for you? Are you successful are, are you looking to grow the business? So I, I would typically send, uh, I have a questionnaire. So I would typically go through that questionnaire about the business. I also want to know what the entrepreneur or the business goals are for the company. Sometimes, you know, they can answer those questions pretty quickly, but sometimes they need a, you know, they need an NDA in place to be able to answer that. And that's, that's not a problem for me to be able to do that. But I'm the kind of person that's going to ask a lot of questions so that I can understand what the business goals are, where the business is today, and also some history. Like what, you know, when did the business start? What were some of the big successes? Why were those successes there? Because I'm looking for the relationship between where you were, where you are, and where you want to go. Um, and before we go, because I, I know we're getting pretty close, I know you're working on something pretty big. Why don't you tell tell everybody about it? So I have had the opportunity to work with a young gentleman uh, he is called Mr. Ice Cream Kid. He is uh, 11 years old. I believe he's 11. And he is a young entrepreneur that runs a little ice cream business. And I've been helping him and his father grow that business for the past year, maybe even a little bit longer than a year. It has been amazing. I teach Bennett the business side of the business, right? Like profit and margin and inventory management. And then I help them grow the business. So we, how are we growing the business? Well, we were a three-month business because we were operating in the summer months primarily, but we've been able to come up with a strategy plan to work in 11 months, right? So we're going to take off in December. That's going to be the bottom line. But what we're doing now is managing between outside events and inside events. So those inside events can go for much, much longer and they can start earlier in the year. But one thing that I'm really excited about is we reached out to Make-A-Wish Foundation and we became a partner with Make-A-Wish. We did our first event last November and coming in May on Mother's Day, we're part of the truck convoy. So I'm so excited and Bennett is thrilled and so is the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And it's so great to be able to, to give to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Bennett has an entire structure that he donates and supports the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So they have been awesome to work with and we are thrilled to be in a partner with them and, and have just a great events with them. So it's it's working out very well. And uh, we're excited for Mother's Day. Very excited. So as our listeners might remember, Bennett was actually, I believe, the first podcast we put out. I'm not sure if it was the first one we recorded, um, but he has actually been a guest here. So I'll be sure to link that back as well for everybody to take a listen to. And, and George, I want to I want to thank you for that moment of time because you and I intersected on Mr. Ice Cream Kid, you know, and it brought our, our brought our relationship actually to a different level of of interaction and there were some innovative things that you had suggested to me 
you know, we're learning, you know, I'm, I'm a constant continual learner. So you brought some innovation ideas to me and I was like, oh, this is, this is, this is interesting. Let, let's, let's try to, let's try to figure this out a little bit more. So I appreciate the partnership with you on that as well. So uh, thank you very much. And on behalf of Bennett and his father, Bernie, thank you as well. Uh, an absolute pleasure. You know, he's, um, he's actually 12 now because his birthday is just before my 11 year old birthday and they're a year apart. Um, and he's, he's just phenomenal. And I know he and, and Bernie appreciate you because I, I hear about you quite often in those interactions. So it's fantastic. But Sheila, I want to thank you for your time today, for your leadership and, and your insight on innovation. Absolutely. It's great to be with you today.